Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. At New Abbey, we believe in conversation, uh, that God is speaking through every single one of our experiences, and that's why we talk with one another. So in normal New Abbey fashion, uh, would you find three or four people around you? And we have this light question for you to start off with today, which is, uh, what's one of the most difficult decisions you've had to make? Enjoy. In 2022, we decided to set out on a journey to go through the Torah with one another, and the crowds went wild. Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, everybody's favorite books. Church growth strategy, my friends. Uh, We're supposed to be in Leviticus now, but we're just having such a good time in Exodus. This might turn into like a three-year series, but hey. We got nowhere to go. One of the reasons is that we're doing it is that I see in a community like New Abbey is that most of the time I'll have a coffee or a beer with somebody here and we'll get into all these other questions about deconstruction and reconstruction, but then it will come back to God's stuff. It will be things like, but I just want to pray again. Or I know I don't believe in that over there, but I want to experience God. I'm not sure if those things work for me and the patriarchy and this and all that, and I totally get it, but... I still want to sing some worship songs. Or I haven't read the Bible in three years, but what if I did again? And so there are these practices that many of us had that were incredibly important to us. And so we're coming back to the scriptures, hopefully in a new way. Now, for many of us, the Bible was something that was magical. Or the Bible was something that you memorized. It didn't really have context for your life. And then magically through osmosis, by laying it on your face during quiet time, all of your problems would be healed. And then they weren't. Or we can take a different approach to the scriptures. That for rabbinic Judaism and for the early church, the scriptures or the narratives of scriptures were incredibly helpful to understand who God is and just simply what it means to be human. That these narratives were not a debate about science, like the stories of Genesis. These narratives were an opportunity for us to understand how do we live as a human being in a meaningful way. And so we're going to tackle a larger concept today as we, uh, as we get into this. And this big idea is simply this. How do we learn to make difficult decisions? It's coming, I promise. But that's the idea. Whenever they get it. Hey, there it is. That is a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be. That was too easy. That was too easy for those of you that have minds to go there. I, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm here to serve. As we learn to make difficult decisions, we're going to talk about some things. We are going to talk about playground rules. And if we can talk about playground rules, then we can think about human responsibility. And if we can talk about human responsibility, then Exodus from 30,000 feet. And if we can look at Exodus from 30,000 feet, then the before and after of our narratives. And how does the story of Exodus talk about slaves and servants in a different way? And if we can think about that, then whose battle is it? And if we can think about whose battle it is, then we'll talk about some purpose. If we can understand some purpose, then addiction, my friends. And if we can understand addiction relationships because we all have them. If we can understand relationships, then we'll put some things into practice with that white piece of paper that is in front of you. It's Father's Day, and so being a dad has taught me one thing. It is a crazy thing to raise a small human being. 
You have to give them so much, like caring, uh, tools, how to be empathetic. This is not like the olden days where you just get to like, you know, like put somebody in a closet and spank them and not worry about them and just come home at like 5 p.m. and hope that they've survived. Like we have to care now and be passionate about what our children are doing, and I love it. And there's these tools that we teach our kids. We're trying to teach our kids multiple things at once, right? I have a nine, seven, and five-year-old. So when they're on the playground, they have to survive the jungle that is that humanity, right? They have to learn things like empathy. They have to learn skills like sharing. They have to learn the ability to speak up if somebody did something wrong. Uh, They have to stand up for themselves. They are aware of other things going on. That is a lot going on for a five-year-old. And there are these moments as a parent where you want to intervene, where you don't want your kid to have to fight these fights on their own, and you want to come and stand up for them. And there have been many a days on the playground where I want to punch a five-year-old, and that's okay, right? I want to have a little chat with that little person about the way that they're living their life. Sometimes it's my five-year-old that I want to have that chat with. I'm not one of those parents who are like, my kid was perfect, why is there crying? It's obviously the other kid's fault. I'm not so sure about that. They're just little human beings figuring out their stuff. And you have these aha moments, these wins in your life when you see your kids apart from you make these decisions that you realize will allow them to be able to cope with humanity on the real playgrounds of life later on. And so uh, a couple years ago, uh, our kids came running to us afterwards, and they were telling us a story about how somebody was mean, mean to, to my middle kid, and that the other siblings had stood up for him. And they had stood up for him. I already saw, I love the ahs that came there. That's sweet, right? Because we all feel it. There's something powerful, about, especially siblings. When they're at home, you know that they're like beating each other's faces in. But on the playground, that's my brother, Right? And there's this moment where they use their words well just to say, oh, you don't get to speak that way to my brother. Would you use kind words? Or you're not allowed to say that. What grown-up things that they're learning versus things that many of us learn, which is either we're going to fight really hard or we're just going to go into a, a secret quiet place and have some resentments later, right? That these kids are learning skills now for how to deal with their humanity. And that's the thing that I love about the Bible, is that the Bible is not trying to be some book on apologetics to prove who God is to you. The rabbis would see the Bible simply as this way, particularly the Torah, these first five books of the Bible, that the Torah is here to teach you about human responsibility, that the Torah is here to teach you that you have a part to play in this larger narrative of God, that for many of us, we grew up in a world where the Torah, these first five books of the Bible, were somehow to teach you about like original sin, that it was a fatalistic view of what the universe is, that there's some uh, belly buttonless people over here who talk to a magical snake with a magical garden, and now for the rest of history, we're trying to solve that problem. That is not how the Jews would have seen the scriptures. That is not how the early church saw the scriptures. Those were stories about a God who was inviting us into the process of co-creation. And like any good parent, there's a moment where God is keeping us safe, uh, teaching us some things, growing us, and then there's a moment where we have to cross the street on our own, where we can no longer hold God's hand. That for many of us, the story of Jesus that we were given is that you go to camp, you raise your hand, you say a prayer, and then all of your woes will be gone. I'm not trying to mock it or oversimplify it. I just think sometimes that is the narrative that we internalized. And then when we internalize that narrative and it doesn't work out for us, then we have to ask ourselves some deeper questions. 
And the deeper questions that we can ask ourselves is, one, we can burn the whole house down and be angry at it. That's a way to go, and many of us have been there. Or two, we can say, what are the things that we want to rebuild and what are the things that we want to reconstruct so that this faith can be meaningful for us, so that this faith may actually work and have something to offer human beings going forward. And the way that we understand that is an invitation into human responsibility, that what God is doing in the story of Exodus is that God is coming to fight the battle for us. God is coming to fight the battle for the Israelites. It's the narrative that we need in our life that there are moments that things feel so overwhelming and so beyond us. We pray for, God, would you deliver us the neon sign? God, would you do something far beyond us that we can do for ourselves? But where Exodus is eventually moving us is that, yes, God will come and do all of the pyrotechnics in the Exodus story. Right? The lasers, the light shows, the frogs, the blood, the, all the things. It'll go dark for a while. God will split the seas. But eventually, God is moving the people from fighting their battle here to getting them through the Red Sea, eventually into the wilderness. And that's where he, God teaches them to grow up. That's where God teaches them that they have to learn to fight their own battles. That they have experienced a God who has taught them to be a creator. And now they can be co-creators. They've experienced a God who has liberated them, and now they can be co-liberators. And so anything that we have asked God for, God is now inviting us to participate in the narrative. That's why Jesus says, come and follow me, right? Jesus never says, come and believe in me. Jesus is not interested in some conceptual version of your faith. Jesus is interested that we become co-participants in this larger narrative of what God is doing. And so in the Exodus story, just to catch you up in case you've forgotten, the Israelites have been in Israel for 400 years. Joseph and family had gotten them there because there was a plague many years ago. And now the pharaohs and the powers that be had forgotten all about what happened back there. And the Israelites had become too numerous. And as any good, powerful person does, unfortunately, they want to keep their power. And they became scared of the Israelites' power. And they begin to kill the Israelites or to oppress them uh, so they could order, in order to maintain some power. God hears the pleas and the cries of the Israelites, comes to Moses through a burning bush, speaks and says, I remember the promises that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that I am a God of covenant, that I am a God who's going to keep making relationship with humanity, and I want to show up and rescue Israel from Pharaoh and from Egypt. Now, before you completely glaze over at the history lesson that I have for you this morning, let's rewrite this a little bit so that it makes sense for our lives is that you may not have a connect with the story that happened 3,000, 4,000 years ago in Egypt, but you do connect with the story of Egypt and Pharaoh. Because we all have seasons in our life where things feel oppressive or repressive, whether that is internalized, whether that is emotional or mental, or whether that is systemic, that there are pharaohs in Egypt that oppress and repress who we are as human beings. Sometimes that's relational. And so there are moments in our life in which God is inviting us into human responsibility, in which God will do God's part, then eventually God is going to uh, rescue us, liberate us, free us from something and towards something. And then it's an invitation for us to be participants about how we're going to go make the world look as we move forward. So where we're at in the book of Exodus is that we're to the moment of the splitting of the Red Sea. This is a moment that's famous all around the world, whether you're a Judeo-Christian or whatever your faith background is. It's the moment where Yahweh shows up, where the armies, where Israel is at the shore and they don't know what to do. They're terrified. And the armies of Egypt are coming at them and they think that they're going to die and they have a conversation with God. Follow along with me in Exodus chapter 14. 
As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to Yahweh. There's just a delay here, it's okay. And they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It is better for us to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, do not be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. And then it goes on in verse 29. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. The little gap in there, right? God splits the Red Sea. Everybody walks through. That's the part. It's all in our heads. We're good. All right. And as the water stood up like a wall on both sides... That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the sea shore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him, and they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Can you go back to my title slide on there, please? Pull that up for me. Well, it'll come. How do we think about this idea of making, how do we deal and learn through difficult decisions? What we see in the story here is that there's one part that's God's part, and then there's another part that's our part. And in the narratives of the Bible, we'll constantly see this theme and this pattern that's not just true of biblical stories, it's also true of our stories as human beings. That where we start sometimes when we make difficult decisions is that we're in a place of need or rescue. That sometimes it takes other people exposing something to us, sharing something with us, caring for us in a particular way, broadening our imagination for the world where we want something larger out of our narratives. Maybe it's something that we've internalized in a way where we're ready to make a difficult decision, but we're not quite ready to go execute on that. That it's just a normal human pattern. That in the Exodus story, we have a very common human theme that takes place where there's in Egypt and there's a pharaoh and there's oppression going on, and there's a dream for the Israelites to have a brighter and bigger future. But how many of us have been in that scenario where we have a dream or there's a purpose that we want to live into, but we don't step into that dream or that purpose or that relationship or that job or that next thing or make that difficult decision because all we know is our reality over here. And our reality over here makes us feel safe, even if it's bad. Our reality over here is known, even if it's not good for us. And the unknown is more terrifying than making the difficult decision in our lives. That even in the biblical narrative, it's trying to offer us a little compassion for what it means to be human, that God has already done the pyrotechnics, that God is already liberating Israel from the Egyptians. And when their push comes to shove and they're up against a wall, the Israelites shout out to God, why did you bring us out here? Right? Earlier it was a story of, well, I want to free you. I no longer want you to be slaves. I want you to be servants of who God is. That I no longer want you to be oppressed or repressed. I want you to be co-liberators or co-creators in the world. But how many of us have been in that narrative where we're not quite ready to make the decision because it's just terrifying to step forward? And in these stories, there's always a before and there's always an after. The before moment is where we feel like 
Slaves is the biblical narrative would use it. It's a moment of oppression or repression. When we feel like we don't have a will. When we feel like we're living into somebody else's narrative. When life's not working out for you because you're living under the guise of somebody else's narrative for your life. The biblical narrative is always trying to move us towards an after, right? The same word in Hebrew for slave is the same word for servant, but it has two different connotations depending on where you read it. And this is a story about liberation, autonomy, participation, independence. It's about your growth, and that the story is always about us evolving and growing and moving forward. Did any of you grow up in faith environments where it felt like the story of God that you got was static and immovable? And the narrative of the scriptures is not static. It's not immovable. It's a story of growth. It couldn't be more concrete than in the Exodus story. That over here in the before narrative, it's a story of we are slaves and we have no power or will in this world. There's a very clear Red Sea moment. On the other side of this thing is a whole new journey that's ahead. And many of us have had those moments in life where we make these decisions and you know what it's like to be on the other side of something. And so I want to talk about three stories in my life and then we're going to have an opportunity to connect with some of the stories in your life where we've just made some decisions and it allows us to grow and think about the world in a different way. The first concept I want to think about is just the idea of having purpose or dreams. I don't know if it's just the stage of my life being in my late 30s, but most of my peers who are in their late 30s are going through the same thing. I often have this conversation with them where they're asking this question of, am I doing the thing that I'm supposed to do? That like, I had my dreams in my 20s and I wanted to go do the thing and maybe I went and did the thing, but now I'm like, okay, now that I did it, am I stuck here for the next 30 years? Is there anywhere else for me to go? Do I need to be in this job? Is this the relationship for me? Or is this how the relationship has to work? Um, Am I going to be stuck with these addictions or these pains or these hurts? Is there an opportunity for growth? And that there are these moments in life where we have to make difficult decisions to move forward. For me, I was in my mid-20s, and I was at another church, and it was a good place, and it was pretty moderate. But there were some things for me in the before story that were keeping me stuck. Part of the things that were over here for me in this before story of purpose were things like safety. What are they going to think if I leave? What are they going to think if I start something new? Am I still going to have these friends? Is anybody going to call me the day after I tell them? Is anybody going to care for me? It's all these ideas around tribe and community. Man, my writing is just horrible. I'm so sorry for this. This is Hebrew, everybody. (laughs) And because of tribe and community, I don't always live into my purpose. How many of you lived in a certain version of faith or stayed in a family or went through things where you knew that you wanted to leave? You knew it wasn't working out for you, but you couldn't step through into the wilderness because of this tribe or community. And then you eventually did it. Here's the great thing when we ask God, God, would you please show up and do this thing for me? Sometimes God shows up and you get to the other side in the wilderness and you're like, ah, shit, right? It's hard over here. It's scary over here. I actually got the thing that I wanted and now I have to go figure it out. And so sometimes there's these practical tools that happen for us on this journey when we want to leave and move into our purpose and we have to take a risky decision and step away for the thing that's making us comfortable. And then we move over here and we step through our Red Sea and now we actually have to live with our decisions. And as we move on in the book of Exodus, some stories that we're going to come across is that we're going to realize and learn that it's our uncomfortability that is a gift. Over here, it's our comfortability that made us a slave. It's our comfortability that left us forced into another person's narrative or perspective for our life. 
And over here, as we go through these things, it's our uncomfortability that will begin to teach us. That the things that I had to do in life after I made the decision to leave that other church and then start New Abbey, it was terrifying. That I got the thing that I wanted. And I lost the tribe, by the way. And I lost the community, by the way. And all the people that I thought would love me didn't love me anymore because I was no longer doing their brand. And it was terrifying. And it was scary. And I had no idea that even though I was going to live into my purpose and that I can look around today and I'm so incredibly grateful for what this community is, I also know that for the first 18 months of New Abbey in the wilderness for me, it was depression. I also know that for the first 18 months of uh, New Abbey for me, that I had a big crisis of identity. Because over here, thousands of people five times on a Sunday would come listen to me preach, and I thought I was pretty awesome. And over here, when I started this thing, there was 12 people in my living room, and I didn't know how to make sense of myself. And it was terrifying, and it was quiet, and all that I had over here was dealing with my own demons. I had to go to therapy again. I had to look at who was I was again. That it was no longer the lights and the glamour or whatever I thought. It was just a version of me figuring out me, and it was so, so scary. But it was a difficult decision that I will never regret making. Because I look around now, and there's so many things that I appreciate about New Abbey, and most importantly, that I appreciate about your lives. I see people experiencing God again. I see people reconstructing and figuring out their faith again. Maybe one of the things I'm most proud of on the other side of the wilderness over here is that when I look around this room, some of you have found your best friends for life in this place. That there will be years where you move on from New Abbey where you'll no longer be here, but there will be people in your life who are still there for you, and that is an incredible gift. People who will know you and care for you and see you, and you don't have to hide parts of yourself from them, maybe like you did in other spaces. That maybe in this space you're going to be fully yourself. It was a terrifying decision to make this difficult decision over here. I pressed a button that I could not unpress. And then I had to move through the wilderness and work through the difficulties of it. But it was a choice that I would make again and again and again. That sometimes in the before picture, we have to move into the, that is not good. We make choices of surrender. And sometimes when we surrender all that we have when we open our hands up, then over here, that when we're in the wilderness and we're on the other side of decisions, we learn trust. And those are different tools. And they happen in cycles in different seasons of life. And it'll cycle again, around again, and there'll be other decisions that I have to make while I'll learn to surrender. And then and through that surrender and through going through the wilderness and going through the uncomfortability and learning some new practical tools through the wilderness, I'll learn to trust God in a deeper and more beautiful way. Another idea I want to think about is Addiction. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not an addict. Good for you. But also, (laughs) maybe you are. And maybe just as human beings, it's just a more complicated way of how we think about hurt. That addiction, in its purest form, is just simply obsession and compulsion. And over here, I've been a slave to addiction in my life. I've stood in rooms for over 12 years, and I've said, hi, I am Corey, and I am a sex addict. I've tried to blow up my life through sex addiction many a different times. In that season of life where I started New Abbey and I was deep in depression, I saw everything within me again ready to press all of the nuclear codes to blow up my life and it terrified me. That there was pain and hurt inside of me, just demons that I had never dealt with. And 12-step rooms taught me something different. Now, the thing over here when I've been a slave to my addiction is that sometimes there are things in life that we think are serving us. And we think they're serving us because we're just simply trying to care for ourselves. And when we don't know how to care for ourselves, we often cope. For me, I learned at a young age through mental and emotional abuse, through sexual abuse and trauma as a child, through all the complexities of my own family, that I was going to care for myself through sexual addiction. It was my obsession and compulsion. It made me feel in control and it made me feel connected 
but it didn't, right? It was all an illusion to the thing that I desperately wanted, which was intimacy. And I finally got married and thought I was going to get intimacy there. And there is intimacy in my marriage, but I didn't know how to live into that. And it was a painful journey where I tried blowing up my life many a different times. And so I knew there was a difficult decision that needed to be made to let go of my addiction. I knew that there was surrender that needed to take place, but it's a tough thing to deal with. Even after years where I began to have sobriety and, and, and I was cleaned up, so to speak, I'll always remember the day. This was maybe after like four years of sobriety where I sat in a room and I just wept and I grieved because I knew that there was something in me that day that was going to finally say goodbye to my dance partner, which was my addiction that it had kept me safe for so long, even though it harmed me. It was the teddy bear that I had. And I remember the day that I had to say, you no longer work for me. And it was like a grief, letting go of this thing that had caused so much pain and tragedy in my life. And I remember having to step through that Red Sea of letting go of that comfort blanket of what I thought was my addiction and stepping into the wilderness over here and having to do real things to analyze and look at my life, having to learn new tools about authenticity. I've shared this story in here before, and I shared it again the other day with my small group about when my therapist said to me four years ago, I'm sitting in therapy, and I say, and he said, he was talking about vulnerability, and I say, well, I'm great at vulnerability. He's like, no, you're not. You're great at self-disclosure. They're not the same thing. That hurt. (laughs) Because self-disclosure is like my addiction. I'm still in control. I'll be honest with you. I love self-disclosing on stage. I love being up here and self-disclosing and creating the narrative that fits perfectly for my sermon for you. Hooray! Vulnerability is terrifying for me. To let you into my life to care for me, I'm not good at it. It was like two months ago here, we had just moved into this building, and one of you would come up to me and said, hey, Corey, I just noticed that you're incredibly tired, and I just want to make sure you're okay. I want to care for you. You're a spiritual leader in my life, and I want to make sure that you're okay. And I was like, no, I'm fine. (laughs) But in my heart, I was like, no, I'm exhausted. And I went, and I did some work, and I got some rest, and I did all the things that I'm supposed to do, because it took me 10 years in the wilderness to learn other ways to deal with it. And now I'm not terrified of my addiction. I'm still a sex addict in the sense of things come up with inside of me, but instead of acting out, I know now like, oh, why is that coming up in you today, Corey? Why do you have that feeling? Are you tired? Are you stressed out? Are you just like hungry? Do you need to take a nap? Oh, you know what? That project does feel like a lot. Maybe you should just take an opportunity to go care for yourself or talk to this person. Maybe call a sponsor, call a friend, be vulnerable with your wife. Crazy idea, I know, that you've got some things going on. That we learn different tools as we go through the journey, as we move from being a slave to something to being a servant in our lives, to our understanding of who God is and who we are. This is a way healthier way to live our lives. But even though we may want to surrender something over here, it will cost us something as we go through the wilderness and grow up. And the final thing I want to think about is just relationships. Another story around relationships. That is relationships. Six years ago, I divorced my mom. What a weird thing to say on stage. That my family was mental and emotional abuse. It was painful. And divorcing my mom was not an easy decision. It came through a lot of thoughtful, difficult decisions. It came through therapy. It came through inviting my parents into repair and reconciliation. They can pick the therapist. Let's do whatever we can because I knew I came to a point in my life where I had kids and my kids could no longer be on the insanity carousel that is my family. 
I was willing to do the work with my mom to have a relationship with her, but I wasn't willing to put my kids in the middle of it until we found some healing and repair together. And I'll always remember um, that I sat in this therapy appointment, and uh, my mom admitted to some things that I just would never imagine that she would admit to before. I wanted my whole life for her to tell me that I was right, and then I finally got it. And she told me these crazy stories of really not wanting to be a mom, not being there. She shared this crazy story of when I had chicken pox at six years old, she decided to go to work that day. Not because she's like the single mom or whatever. No, like my parents had plenty of money. She just wanted to go to work and didn't really want to stay home with the sick kid. And so she just left me at home by myself for three days. And I have a six-year-old. I'm like, that's crazy. And she told me all of these things, and it was this moment of like, oh, my gosh, I've always wanted this. And the therapist then said to me, well, my mom said these final words of, I was never your mom before, but I want to be your mom now. And the therapist said, do you want a mom now? And I remember saying, I don't. I needed a mom then, but I don't want a mom now. And there's a lot of things that my mom has to work through, and it's not my job to change it. That over here, sometimes we're a slave to change. That we think that we can change everybody else. If I just articulate that on Instagram well enough, they're never going to say that thing to me again. Uh, no, they're going to. If I can just show up this year to Christmas in a different way, my mom, my dad, my aunts, my uncles, everybody, they're going to be different. If I can just have them listen to this podcast, if they'll just come to New Abbey with me one time, I'm going to change them. Anyone else guilty of this? And then you realize it's not my job to change you. I'm the slave here to this change. I'm driving myself crazy for your stuff. All I can do is deal with my stuff, not your stuff. And i got to go through the Red Sea, which is terrifying, by the way, because it sucks when you don't have somewhere to go on Thanksgiving. It sucks when your aunt dies and your grandma dies and you reach out to your family and you say, I would love to come to the funeral at least to honor their life. And they say, I would hope, would you please not show up? That we make decisions in life sometimes and we press buttons that we cannot unpress. But you make them because you no longer want to be a slave to Pharaoh or in Egypt. And you don't know the outcomes as you move forward. You surrender those things. And as you go into the wilderness, you're going to learn to trust God in a completely different way. And over here on this side, the change that I learned on this narrative is I can only change myself. And all the time I get into conversations with people and I have to remember in my life, I can just only change myself. I can only change myself. I can only do my own work. And sometimes you'll realize in relationships that the Pharaoh or Egypt is not my mom. It wasn't my aunt. It wasn't somebody else. It was me. The two years ago, we sat in therapy, my wife and I, and I realized... I'm Pharaoh. That for 14 years of our marriage, I've been asking you to carry my weight as well. And you're tired. And you're tired rightfully so. And this is not a moment for me to get defensive. This is not a moment for me to try to control. This is a moment of, you might leave me because you're just tired. And I have to be okay with that because I can only go heal myself. And we went into a different wilderness at a different time, and we worked through some different things, and my marriage is healthier than it's ever been. And that's a gift. It's not easy. It's not some story of being a hero. All of these stories are you surrender, you grow, because you know that this version of life is not working for you. And when you get even healthier, you realize this version of life might not be working for the other people around you as well. And you learn the tools to work through it, and then you get into the wilderness, and you learn trust in a different way. You learn letting go in a different way. 
You learn that uncomfortability can be your teacher and your gift in a different way. And over here, we are begging for God to fight our battles. And over here, we're so grateful that God has taught us to fight our battles for ourselves. That we have such a good God who's not trying to fight everything for us, but a God who sometimes says, you're doing good. You never thought you'd be here. You never thought you'd get to this moment. But I'm going to let your hand go today. Not because I'm a bad parent, because I'm a great parent. And you can walk across the street on your own. It hasn't all been easy. And it's not all perfect. It's not all going to be perfect ahead. But you're okay. And you got this. And you're going to follow me. We're going to create a different world, a better kingdom, a greater reality, a bigger perspective, all the words you've heard in church together. But we're going to do it together. Now that's a story that I want to be a part of. And so you have these pieces of paper in front of you because I hope that you just get two things from today. One is simply this. Maybe as you look at your narrative, do you have, are you coming from a place of gratitude and acknowledgement of where God has taken you, from where you've been enslaved to something to where you've gone through and you've come into the wilderness, a very difficult decision that you've made. And so all you're going to do on your piece of paper is write before, maybe it's a difficult decision that you've made, and write the after, what it looks like now in your life as you've gone through that difficult decision. Maybe some of you are in a place of, you know what, yeah, I do have some moments of gratitude or acknowledgement for where God has taken me, but today I'm sitting here and there's some difficult decisions that I want to make in my life now. And I want to talk about how my life may not be working for me or for those around me. And I want to name some of those things, what they might be, and where I dream that after I go through this, what my life could look like. So you're just going to take three or four or five minutes just by yourselves, kind of reflect on that, um, and then we're going to come back together. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.